0: Good morning, friends. Uh, Today's message is entitled, The Longest Walk, and you can read all about that walk in Luke chapter 24. Let me start by just reminding all of us that the longest walk any of us will probably ever take is to walk away from the grave of someone you love. If you've never done that, you can't imagine how difficult it is to walk away and feel as if the world has come to an end, to walk away and think about what used to be and what might have been. To walk away and realize I'll never be the same again. And to walk or to play over and over in your mind the good times, the laughter, the crazy stories. To reach out and touch a face and find it's gone forever. To cry until you can't cry anymore. To watch them bury your dreams and hopes and all that was good about life. To know it is over, done, finished, the end. There is nothing you can do about it. To walk away to friends who cannot understand and to a world that often doesn't really care. It is the longest walk and the saddest day. Every step takes you away from the tombstone of a broken dream. Like I said, the story is told in Luke 24. It's Easter, and there is no joy. Two disciples are on the road to Emmaus, a little village about seven miles from Jerusalem. Jerusalem. One disciple is named Cleopas, we don't know the name of the other one, and as they walk along the dusty road, they leave Jerusalem far behind. They were followers of the man called Jesus, the rabbi from Nazareth, the teacher, the miracle worker who claimed to have been sent by God. For a long time they had followed him, as much as anyone could, they truly believed. And then came the terrible events on Friday. Jesus had been crucified, after his death he was buried in a tomb. Although they had heard rumors that the tomb had been found empty early that morning, they could not and would not and did not believe any wild stories about a resurrection. I mean, if there was one thing that Romans knew how to do, it was kill people. They were good at it. They could make it fast or short, easy or horrific, public or private, relatively painless or excruciatingly painful. Crucifixion was the most terrible way to kill a man, and only the worst of the worst suffered that fate. Now, how how had it come to this? If he truly was the Son of God, how could this have happened? I mean, it's Sunday. Jesus is dead. They're going home. Their question is our question, only slightly rephrased. Where is Jesus when you need him? Where did he go? Why did he leave us? And as they walked and talked, I'm sure they did a lot of reminiscing. They must have talked about the time the man on the pallet was lowered through the roof. Truly, they talked about the time when Jesus took five barley loaves and two fish and fed five thousand men. They probably wondered how Jesus could raise Lazarus and then be killed himself a week later. Like anyone who has lost a loved one, they tried to make sense out of the tragedy. Friends, if you've ever walked away from a funeral so deeply hurt that you could not speak, if you have loved and been deeply hurt, tried and failed, believed and then been disappointed you know what it was like for these two disciples. And yet when you look at this chapter, there's a very straightforward way to outline this story. Two men, three men, two men. See, everything you need to know is in those three phrases. Down the road the two men walk, deep in their sorrow and despair. Suddenly a stranger joins them and walks with them. When he leaves, they are changed forever. First, their hearts are burdened, then their hearts are burning, and then their hearts are bursting. Such is the power of the risen Christ. Here is an Easter message of hope for all who are confused and uncertain. It is also a message for those of us who feel abandoned, sometimes by the Lord. See, because he rose from the dead, Jesus is with us always, everywhere, at all times, in every situation. But let's admit it, sometimes we can't recognize him. Verse 16 says, their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Now, why didn't they know it was Jesus? After all, they were his disciples. I mean, there are many answers given to that question. I mean, some people say they didn't expect him, so they didn't recognize him. Others saying that it happened at sunset, that they were confused by the fading light. But the text gives us a different time. It was a supernatural veiling of their eyesight, so that they saw a man, but did not know it was Jesus. Jesus. There is even a touch of humor in that Jesus is with them, and they think he's dead. As they walked with the stranger, they said, well, he used to do this. You should have been there. He could walk on water. He was so kind. We never met anyone like him, and finally, I just can't believe he's gone. On they walk, the two men talking, the stranger listening intently. Finally, he breaks in and asks, what are you talking about? Well, this question perplexes the two men because everybody in Jerusalem knew about the crucifixion of Jesus. Are you the only one who hasn't heard? And so they tell the story to this inquisitive stranger, their words a combination of love and grief and pride and sorrow and belief and doubt. And he was such a good man. He healed the sick. He raised, he raised the dead. We know he was a prophet. He ran into trouble with the chief priests. We heard he was betrayed. They beat him until he couldn't stand. They put a crown of thorns on his head. Then they laughed at him. Everything they said was in the past tense which is how we normally speak of those who passed on. They still loved him and still believed in him as best as they could. They clung to every cherished memory. The crucifixion could not make them stop loving him, but they could not square the events of the past 48 hours with their faith that he was the Son of God. They were disappointed disciples who felt their faith slipping away with every step on the road to Emmaus. They'd heard the rumors of an empty tomb, but what did it mean? I mean, nobody had seen Jesus yet, or at least that's what they thought. So ends the sad tale of Jesus, a story that had such a promising beginning. They believed in Jesus, but he let them down. The third day was almost gone, and Jesus was nowhere to be found. So bring down the curtain. It's all over now. See, this is what Good Friday looks like without Easter. Without the resurrection, the cross is nothing but a tragedy, a story without a moral, a drama that ends before the final act. Yet sometimes we can't recognize him, and sometimes we are slow to believe. As the two disciples pour out their confusion and their despair, Jesus listens patiently. And when they're finished telling of their broken dreams and dashed hopes, he begins to speak. He starts out by calling them fools, which simply means they were slow to apply the truth they already knew. And he says they're slow of heart to believe what the prophets had said. He rebukes them for one thing, and one one thing only, for failing to understand and apply the scriptures. He doesn't chew them out for leaving Jerusalem and walking back home. He doesn't criticize their doubt nor condemn their confusion. All of that was understandable, given the circumstances and the fragmentary information they'd received. But he tells them that they should have known and believed what God had said. That leads to what we might call the ultimate Bible conference. I mean, he tells them plainly that it was necessary for Jesus to die, to suffer and die on the cross. What seemed like the ultimate miscarriage of justice turns out to be the Father's plan to glorify his Son. I mean, Jesus was no victim being led against his will to the cross. No one took his life. He laid it down. The cross was not an accident it was part of god's plan from the beginning. that's why the prophets and poets wrote about it friends there are clues scattered throughout the old testament that the messiah would suffer and then would enter his glory i mean genesis three genesis twenty two second samuel seven psalm sixteen psalm twenty two psalm sixty nine psalm one hundred and ten psalm hundred and eighteen isaiah seven isaiah nine isaiah fifty three Zechariah, chapters 12, 13, and 14. Friends, just don't miss this. The whole Bible testifies to Jesus. And as the afternoon of the first Easter wore on, the the two disciples listened with, with rapt attention as this third man, the stranger they did not recognize, explained how the scriptures all pointed to Jesus. We, too, must not make the mistake, the same mistake that these disciples made or else we too will be fools and slow of heart to believe. The Old Testament is full of Jesus. He's on every page and is the true theme of the Old Testament by type or teaching or sacrifice and prophecy. I mean, he is the prophet greater than Moses. He's the priest greater than Aaron. He's the king greater than David. He's the captain greater than Joshua. I mean, you read through the scriptures, it said, he's the seed of a woman, the fulfillment of the brass serpent. The goal of all the sacrifices that true meaning of the tabernacle and temple he's the kinsman redeemer the scapegoat the lamb that takes away the sins of the world he's the great high priest who lives forever to intercede for us he's the lion of the tribe of judah and the good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep if you want to find jesus just open your bible because that whole book is all about him if you want to understand the bible look for jesus he's there on every page The whole purpose of the Bible is to point us to Jesus. He's the theme of every book from Genesis to Revelation. I find this, I find great encouragement from this story. I mean, where is Jesus when we need him? He is with us, even when we are slow to believe. And yet, sometimes he seems to leave us. Verses 28 to 32 of this chapter paint a touching picture of Jesus eating supper with Cleopas and the other disciple. Remember, they still don't know who he is. They think they've stumbled upon a stranger who knows everything there is to know about the Bible. But they had no idea it was Jesus. Now, there is one little phrase in verse 28 that we should not overlook. It's this. Jesus acted as if he were going farther. The word acted means pretended. Now, what a thought that is. I mean, was Jesus trying to deceive his own disciples? No, nah, that can't be right. Was Jesus planning on leaving his disciples alone in the road of doubt? No. But he makes them think he's going to leave them behind so that they will invite him to stay. I want you to think about that for a moment. Our Lord sometimes seems to leave us so that we will ask him to stay. He seems to leave us behind so that we will seek him all the more. I mean, those days when we feel alone and confused are part of God's plan to wean us away from the things of the world and bring us to a place where we say, O Lord, it is you and you alone that I seek. I want you to notice what happens next. Jesus comes in when he's invited. He eats with them, and then he vanishes as soon as he is recognized. I mean, note this carefully. Jesus disappears, but not until his disciples recognize him. Think about it this way. He came in because they asked him. He broke bread that he might have fellowship with them. He left because they no longer needed his personal presence. Why did he leave so suddenly? The answer is he didn't leave them at all. He simply became invisible. I mean, leaving implies a change of geography, but it's not as if Jesus moved to a different location. He appeared to them on the road, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Even when he taught them the scriptures, he still did not reveal himself to them. Only in the course of sharing a meal together did Cleopas and his friend recognize who he was, and then he vanished. But friends, that doesn't mean that he left them. It simply means that they could no longer visibly see him. And I think this is really the point of the whole story. Just because you don't see Jesus doesn't mean that he isn't there. Just because you can't feel him doesn't mean he's left you. And Just because you think you're alone doesn't mean he is no longer by your side. Once you know that Jesus is alive, you have certainty in your heart. There's no need for him to stay longer. He stays long enough for them to believe, but no longer. I mean, there are times when we all say, Lord Jesus, it would be wonderful if you would stay a while longer. And the Lord answers back, my child, I'm with you, even though you think I'm gone. So where is Jesus when we need him? He is with us even though he seems to leave us. This is a pretty profound insight of our text. Because Jesus is alive, he is with us even when we don't know it. He is with us when we think we are walking alone through the dark valleys of life. And even when we have given up all hope, we discover that he was with us when we needed him the most. When you come to the conviction that Jesus is alive, Everything changes. That's why the two disciples couldn't wait to get back to Jerusalem. And even though it was late, they had to go back and tell the others what they'd seen and heard. Friends, once you encounter Jesus, nothing will ever be the same again. If Jesus is alive, there's no time to waste. If Jesus is alive, everything we believe is true. If Jesus is alive, then death has been defeated. If Jesus is alive, then heaven is more than a dream. If Jesus is alive, then our sins are really forgiven. If Jesus is alive, then all his promises are true. If Jesus is alive, then we can never truly be alone again. Where is Jesus when we need him most? He's with us because he's risen from the dead. Let's go back to that simple outline for a moment. Two men, three men, two men. It's a picture of life after the resurrection. There are two men alone in their despair. Jesus comes and gives them hope. Jesus leaves, but the men are changed forever. But you might say, well, he's been gone for 2,000 plus years. But that's not quite right. He is gone in terms of his physical presence on earth, but he's more with us now through the presence of the Holy Spirit than he was when he was here. And how do we know this is true? because of the last verse of Matthew's Gospel where it says, I am with you always to the end of the age. He is with us always, even though we do not recognize him, even though we can't find him, even though we are slow to believe, even though he seems to leave us. All of this is true because Jesus is risen from the dead. He's gone from our sight that he might be seen by our faith. Friends, we all live somewhere between Good Friday and Easter Sunday, We're all on the long Emmaus Road journey together. There are times when we feel alone and overwhelmed and doubts creep into our hearts and it gives away and we feel like we can't go on. Then Jesus comes to us and said, you're not alone. You never were alone. And even when you thought you were alone, I was there with you walking every step of the way. Now we'll still make that long walk from the grave. We'll still weep and remember and wonder why. But everything has changed. It may be Saturday for many of us, but thank God Easter has dawned upon the universe. A bright light shines from the garden tomb, and that light slowly chases the darkness away until one day the darkness is gone forever. That's why every Easter we celebrate the great triple truth of this holy day. The tomb is empty. Jesus is alive. We are not alone. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Until next time, friends, see the vision, live the mission, and feel the passion.